We're going to dive into the Word together. Turn to Romans chapter 12. If you've been with us, you know we've been walking through a series called Together for the City, looking more in depth at our mission, which is multiplying gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. This is the fourth week of the series. Uh, We're going to talk about loving people. All right, now out of the four pieces of our mission, I think you'll agree that this is the one that sounds least inspiring, uh, least glamorous, um, for sure, the least efficient uh, of of the four pieces of our mission. Because frankly, loving people is hard. Yes? Yes. I mean, people can be messy. People are inconvenient. People can be jerks. Look at ourselves. We're jerks at times. Yes? True? So this is the messiest of them all. It's, I think that there's a, uh, a deal. I have this theory, and I wish I could shift things around, that if people would just cooperate with what I want them to do, they would be much easier to love. Is that true? Right? Um, that's why we like pets. Come here, puppy. Come here. Oh, good dog, good dog, good dog. Yeah. Same scenario, different. Come here, Jimmy. Time to tie your shoes. Come here, Jimmy. Time to tie your shoes. Jimmy. Jimmy. Right? I wish my kid were like the dog. Why do I want my kid to be like a dog, right? It's, that, that's all messed up. It's, but it's kind of where we live, isn't it? Just like if people would just do and respond, then we'd be a lot better off. So let's just start with a problem first. We don't naturally love people. We're born selfish and sinful. And when we grow up, we just become better at it. It's our hidden talent, selfishness. True? And typically, we, we fall on one or another side of the, di- of the, of the road, the ditches. One I'll call people avoiders. If you're a people avoider, you like to, to stay to yourself. You, you kind of like to do your thing, right? Squeak out some me time here and there. Um, but you, you, you do work, you do church, you do sports, you do social media, but generally, you kind of keep your, your nose down and wish people wouldn't bother you, right? If you're a people avoider, you might agree with the words of the father of existentialism, Jean-Paul Sartre, who famously said, hell is other people. <laughs> and some of you are like, amen, brother. <laughs> right? He wrote... He wrote that at the end of a play called No Exit where he was depicting hell and the three characters in that play had died. And uh, so their punishment was being in a room together forever. Hell is other people. That was the consummation of the play. And some of you are like, yeah, it sounds like hell to me. Um, In fact, on a side note, there's actually an, an app called Hell is Other People. Don't go there. I don't recommend it, but uh, you can actually track your friend's locations so it will give you optimally calculated distances so that you can avoid them through your day. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh, I got to check that out. 
Hell is other people. Or the ditch on the other side of the road, just so you know, I'm an equal opportunity guy for the expert, extroverts, um, people worshipers. So if you're a people worshiper, you, you pull on people to affirm you, appreciate you, like you. You turn people into idols. And so what goes on with people really affects you. You want them to love you back. They want you, you want them to fill you up. You want them and wish for them to invite you over just a little bit more. And if they do, it's a good day. And when they don't, sad, embarrassed, sometimes angry spiral, right? Those are the ditches on the sides of the road. But in the kingdom of God, people don't avoid people because it's awkward. And people don't look to people and worship them in order to feel better about themselves. In the kingdom, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so honor and love and enjoy each other that it overflows and permeates into the people of God so that, so that because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, we are then freed to love and honor and enjoy each other, not because of camaraderie and compatibility, but only because of Jesus and for Jesus' glory. Why, why does it matter that we love each other? Why does it matter? Well, because if, if we're saved, if we're, we're children of God, we're part of the family of God, well then, treating each other like the Trinity treats each other makes much of God himself, does it not? And, and then the book of Ephesians says we, we actually shine like stars in a dark world by the way that we love each other. In fact, in the early church, the Romans, uh, Tertullian, a historian, famously said um, that the Romans would say about the early church, see how they love one another. It was a marker. It was a testimony. So the context of Romans 12, let's dive into this. The Roman church is a church a a lot like Frontline 2016. They were multiracial. They had Gentiles and Jews, and the Gentiles were the majority. Um, We have multiple races, but generally whites are the majority. They had a lot of doctrinal differences, Jewish and Gentile backgrounds. We are like, Frontline's like a, a mongrel. Right, All of our denominational backgrounds and church backgrounds and life backgrounds. But we're called to live in tension just like they were, we are. But here's the deal. The main thing that separated them was pride. See, the Jews, they had pride in being God's chosen people, favored status. And so they kind of lorded that over the Gentiles. The Gentiles, on the other hand, they're like, freedom in Christ, right? Hey, Jews, we don't got to be circumcised. Which I guess is one thing you could be proud of, of the options. We don't have to be circumcised. And then they back and forth. And so there was disunity and division 
in their community. The same thing is true for us. The main thing we'll keep, that will keep us separated, at odds, disunified, is pride. It's pride. Main point for today. Pride kills love. Repentance and humility grows it. Pride kills love. Repentance and humility grows it. We're going to talk about that. It's really interesting. If you, you look at the book of Romans, to, to get this family to love each other, he doesn't give them four tips for better listening skills, right? As good as that may be. Or like, here's five ways to learn one another's cultural background. He doesn't do that. You know what he does? He gives them the gospel. Think about it. If you've read the book of Romans, Romans 1 and 2, all are under sin and deserving of the wrath of God for our sin. True? Self-righteous Jews and rebellious Gentiles. Three, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then there's grace for all who believe. It says there's no distinction. You see what Paul's doing here? Romans 4, Abraham is the father of both races, Jew and Gentile. 5 through 8, he talks about ongoing sin and suffering cannot separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in 9 through 11, this, this beautiful picture is painted, this beautiful description of how Gentiles are actually grafted into the vine of Israel. And get this, we as the church have formed a third race a new humanity. So in all the racial tensions, we're, we're called as the people of God, the third race, to speak into those that only because of Jesus and only through the gospel can unity come, can it be promoted. Otherwise, we are dead. Do you see the, the purpose that Paul has here to promote unity within this church? that they would love one another and shine like stars, and that we, in 2016, would love one another. So that launches us into 12. He gets real practical. He says, um, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Think differently. Live life differently. And then in verse 9, he gets to their relationships. So let's read it. 9 through 13. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. So let's pause for just a a little bit and let's pray. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this moment, this space. Thank you for the gathered church. And I would ask that you would speak to every single heart about the goodness of your love for them Would you reveal what needs to be revealed? Would you speak what needs to be spoken? Would you 
um, do what only you can do with us, in us, and through us this morning. Would you just help us to be present, to be undistracted, and to give you glory as we listen to your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so some of you guys are, are in businesses, you're in companies that have a value statement, right? Five or six things that have them on, that, that, that your leaders want you to pursue with passion, whatever those things may be. Um, well, this is Paul's, if you will, values statement for the early church and for us. The things that he wants us, by the Spirit of God, to pursue as values. Now, there are 12 of them in this passage. We're not going to talk about all of them. We're going to talk about five that I sense the Holy Spirit wants us just to grow in. And um, so the question today is, if someone were looking from outside of your life, or someone were outside looking at our church family, would they say these five values are actually true of us in any real sense? Okay, so as we're stepping through them, that's the question I want you to ask is, is are these things true of us in any real sense? With me? All right, so the first one is love must be genuine. You remember high school and a theme paper, you always have to have a topic sentence, right? A one sentence summary that you're going to build everything towards. Well, well, this is um, not just 12 Proverbs. This is the topic sentence for what he's going to build into. Very heading, um, love must be genuine. So what's genuine mean? It means without hypocrisy. So he says, don't pretend. Don't just tolerate one another. Niceness is nice, and kindness is for sure fruit of the Spirit, right? Treat one another the way you want to be treated. That's Jesus stuff, yes? Um, but love costs you something. Inherently, love has sacrifice in it if it's genuine. Let me give you an example of disingenuous love. Um, early on in our marriage, um, so I was pretty unloving, um, basically a jerk and self-righteous jerk on top of that. So one morning I'm in First John chapter 4, and uh, I'm reading this section that says, uh, it says this, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Right? And I'm really having a great time with the Lord. I'm just, I'm connected, being really spiritual. And, uh, and, and then I'm on the back porch, so Darcy comes outside, and she just asks me a simple question. And I am like in- instantly, like level 10 livid. I'm like, I cannot believe she would be so rude to interrupt me. I mean, she's so unspiritual. She ought to be. Why is she not inside, like on her knees, weeping and fasting before the Lord? Why is she not crying out for the world? Who have I married? What is this? What is happening? She doesn't get me. 
she's so rude and name the judgments and criticism in my heart. I, you know, blow her off and answer a question. She goes back inside. And then I go back to, you know, my connected time with God, real spiritual. Okay, God, where was I here? Okay, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Okay, Lord, I just want to say thank you for, oh, You ever have one of those moments where the Holy Spirit like takes a spear and grabs your shirt and like pins you to the wall and starts talking to you? Well, that's what started happening. And God was like, John, you're a liar. Your love is centered totally and completely on what you want. It's fake. It's Conditional. Yes, it's true. (laughs) Once I got down from the wall and repented before God, went inside and just said, babe, I'm I'm sorry. Forgive me. Um, And I still have that jerkiness inside of me, but God is revealing it. It wasn't the first time and it won't be the last time he reveals that disingenuous love. So how can we grow in genuine love? Well, 1 John 4 actually takes us a bit deeper into the definition. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Okay, full stop. Life principle. You can only give what you've received. You can only teach what you've been taught. It's true in parenting, it's true in business, it's it's true in all of life. So the only way we will grow in loving people is if we're receiving love from the source, God himself. God is love, which means if there is no God, there's no love on the earth. He is love. Think of it like a, a, a sponge. A sponge cannot help you unless it gets soaked by some water. True? So at camp, we played this fun game called slip and slide kickball where you've got tarps as the baselines which of course you have to put baby shampoo on them so that the kids fall down and then the kiddie pools are the bases right and if you're not playing then what do you do you you put some sponges in some water and you whip them at the runners I of course didn't do it because I was a chaperone but I might have Super fun game, right? But none of the kids are throwing dry sponges, right? Because what fun is that? That's no fun at all. In order to sponge to have effectiveness, it's got to hold water. Well, get this. You probably didn't expect me to say this today, but you are a sponge. You have nothing on your own to give. Only by receiving the love of God will you have anything to give anyone. We have a lot of dry sponges in here. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian or not a believer. But just in terms of your your actual life, you know God loves you in your head, but you don't draw from him for any real thing in your life 
as a supply. You don't draw from him as a source for any real relationship in your life. So you're walking around like a dry sponge and you've got all these demands on you to give and to love. But the, the sponge doesn't have any water in it. Too busy, too angry, too many problems. And then it goes on to say in verse 9, look, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's the sponge idea. Through Jesus is how we live. He revealed it in his incarnation. That's how we can now live. And then in verse 10, John has to put the gospel right into the middle of this conversation. He says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So his command to love one another, impossible, unless we see the glory of the gospel where Jesus took the sin, our sin, your sin on himself and took the wrath of God, the anger of God that sin deserved, yours and mine, on himself and he died our death. How does that help you to love? Will you think on that? You ponder that? How much he suffered for you? And not only that, but why he suffered for you? Because of his love? And you can't help but be humbled by it. Remember, pride kills love, but repentance and humility grows it. If you sit in that two minutes a morning, that's one of the reasons why we gather, why we take communion, why these are graces, they're gifts, they're water deposits, right? And as you do that, then you're humbled. And then get this, forgiveness actually becomes a thought. You being forgiven for the ways that you've sinned against them and forgiving them and how they sinned against you. Love becomes stronger. And over time, God changes us. Okay? If you're not a Christian here this morning, you're asking questions about God, the simple message is humble yourself by surrendering, surrendering your life to the God who gave himself up for you on the cross. He suffered for you. Repent. Humble yourself. Okay, second value. Abhor evil. Hold fast to what's good. Isn't it wild that right after this command to love, Paul tells us to hate something? Look at that. How does love and hate go together? Well, in order for love to be authentic and to go beyond kindness, if you will, he says you need to hate evil. It's the next thing out of his mouth. And this isn't like the ordinary Greek word for hate. This is like used one time in the Bible, so it's got a point. It's loathe, despise evil. So what's the connection? Well, listen, I believe God designed the emotion of anger and hate so that we would, it would make us move against evil, not against people. So that we would move against evil, not against people. And I think it's true on three levels. First, the evil within. Hate the sin inside enough to cling to the good one, Jesus. And the only good one is Jesus. Hate it enough to repent and turn from what's killing you from the inside out. 
Don't hate yourself or hate people. Hate the enemy, hate the sin, hate the shame. Here's an example of how that's connected to love. If you're addicted to porn, maybe it's 40 hours a month. Well, repentance and then humility and ongoing accountability frees those 40 hours up for you to love your spouse. To, to love on your kids, right? To sleep better and to even to sleep at all, right? So you have energy to do those things. Um, if it's worry and you're obsessed with controlling the future, you repent and you humble yourself. There's, you're freed by Jesus. And Jesus is the one who hated evil enough to come down and make a way for us to know him and to be freed to love each other, Right? Second level is evil in others. Parents hate evil, evil enough to speak up to your kids. Not, not with the hammer, not bludgeoning them or whatever, but, but like with compassion in your heart to speak up about evil. Um, I wish I had started this earlier, but within the last several months, I've just been, when it comes to nasty stuff on TV or internet with my preteens, I've just said, boys, Reiner men, look away. Now, when I fail in that, I've got to ask for forgiveness from the Father. But I want to model that to my boys. Reiner men, look away. Um, if you're in the police, you're in the military, and there's a spotlight on you in this season, like I can't imagine, um, but hate evil enough to stop others, people from hurting others in our community. It, it, there's, you are uniquely wired in some ways for this, that, that hatred of evil is part of you protecting and serving people in our community. Keep going, keep doing, no matter what race, continue protecting and serving the people that you're called to. If you're a friend, for those of you who are in community group, and you see someone headed down a road that's leading to a cliff, Hate evil enough to speak up. Right? The words don't have to be perfect. Hate evil, cling to the good one, Jesus. Martin Luther King Jr. said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. The last level is evil in culture. Um, to make us move into misery with the compassion and truth of God. What evil in the world makes you angry? Is it? Racism? Is it drug abuse or alcohol abuse or bad schools? Don't suppress it. Channel that into actually peacefully and boldly and humbly and maturely moving into the lives of people who are being destroyed by it. Do you see the connection? Are you with me? Um, there's a Christian lawyer in Kenya by the name of Willie Kamani, or Kamani, I'm not quite sure of the pronunciation. You may have heard about a month ago, um, he was, was a lawyer defending a client who had been, ironically, um, shot by the police at a traffic stop. And he was defending this client, and those two and a taxi driver about a month ago were abducted and they were tortured and they were killed now, Willie is a Christian and strong leader, smart, 
He wasn't stupid. He knew he was a walking target, but he made the choice to lay down his life to defend the powerless and the voiceless and give them a voice. And he he paid for it with his life. Our job today, you all, is the same. Whatever degree, whatever level, in our culture, no matter what race we are, it'll take great courage, great humility, great love to step up and speak up for those who have no voice. Loving people doesn't mean don't hate. It means hate the evil that is killing the ones that God loves enough to reapportion your money, rearrange your schedule. Pride kills love, but repentance and humility grows it. A third value, love one another with brotherly affection. If you think that love is only an action or love is only a choice, look at this. It says brotherly affection. That means love contains emotion. Here's the hard part, though. It is a choice to actually express that emotion into the life of someone else. So maybe it's tenderness or compassion, weeping with those who weep. Um, Maybe it's just encouraging someone, right? You feel a need for them to be encouraged. So you speak that. Maybe it's just joy in someone else's existence. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad you're part of this group. I'm glad you serve in this ministry. Thank you. You're given so much. That ought to color and mark our culture. Peter put it this way. He says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, he says, go one step further. Love one another deeply from the heart. What's that mean? Well, it means affection for people. We're a pretty heady crowd. We like theology. I love that aspect of our culture. We love to joke around. I also really love that part of our culture. I love our church family. I've been here 10 months and I'm just, it, I just enjoy being here. But the question both individually and collectively is when was the last time you celebrated someone? When was the last time you told someone what you appreciated about them? what you admired about them, what you respected about them. And then right then and there, you just said, can I pray for you? You think, oh, that's way too much risk. Well, there is courage in love. Courage is required. It's going to cost us something. What's it cost you? One of those spear to the wall moments, again, a few years into marriage was this set of verses in 2 Corinthians Um, Paul says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as the children, widen your hearts also. So you can be the most moral, biblical, theological, Christian, wise, strong leader, but not make much of a difference because you're withholding your heart. You're withholding your affections. Um, had a neighbor who ran the marathon and he posted on Facebook how great the run through Mesta Park was because there was so much support. Well, um, inwardly, when I saw that post, I just went, yes, 
that's my church. I was so proud because we just littered this area with so many volunteers and workers. I knew who he was referring to. I was so proud. So if we can do that for two hours a day, one time a year, can we not also do it with one another in the race that's so much harder? Keep going. Persevere. God loves you. Don't lose heart. Continue on. Spend time with him. He's worth it all. Our community groups and our Sunday mornings and our gatherings ought to be marked by that kind of celebration. John Piper said this. He said, love is an overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. Okay, the next two I'm going to run through quickly. Outdo one another in showing honor. How many of you like to win? Maybe even love to win. Go ahead. Shameless in church. It's all right. It's not a sin. It's good. So I have a secret dream. I'll share with you that one day I would wake up and go out on my front porch and there nestled over in the corner of my yard, the city of of the village, having recognized the beauty, raw power of my yard would have stuck in the yard, yard of the month. (laughs) You laugh, you want it. But you know what? That's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen because, well, I have a job and it seems like my neighbors have don't, so they're manicuring their lawns. I have a black thumb, but really I don't care enough about my lawn to win that. So the question is this, um, do we care enough about showing honor to one another that we'd actually get competitive about it, right? We'd look to serve and value and dignify one another, really like in a competitive way. You don't see competition encouraged in the scriptures all the time, you know, but, but here it is. It's the first shall be last, last shall be first principle, going low to lift up. Again, repentance and humility is what grows love. And then the last thing is constant in prayer. About five or six times you see this this phrase, devoted to prayer or constant in prayer, um, connected to the early church, Acts, Colossians, here. It's almost like a commercial for the early church. You know, early church, devoted to prayer. It's, It's throughout. And it's beautiful. It's like, that's who they were and what they did. Richard Foster in his classic on prayer, he says, if you truly love someone, you will desire for them far more than you are able to give. And this will lead you to prayer. I get it. Prayer can feel like a taking a fly swatter to a tidal wave. You know, I think one of the main reasons we don't pray is we don't think it works. We doubt, we disbelieve. Um, But the connection between prayer and loving people is because if you're really talking with God, you can't help but be humbled. Um, You're in a fight with your spouse and and you take it to God in prayer. He'll show you where you're wrong and that will leave you to love. So the question out of this is, when was the last time you prayed for your spouse? When was the last time you prayed for your kids? When was the last time you prayed for your friend or that difficult person in community group? When was the last time you prayed for your coworker? You said constant in prayer because prayer leads to humility, which leads to 
love. See, that opens the doorway of the heart so that love can actually flow through. There, the, the dry sponge can actually have some water. Okay, we'll bring this to a wrap, and then we get the joy of taking communion together. The goal of Christian maturity is love. The goal of Christian maturity, Christian growth, is love. It's not being more well-rounded or more socially well-adjusted or having 2.5 garage or kids or 2.5, whatever. It's not becoming an elder. It's not becoming this or that. The goal is love, no matter what your unique individual gifting is. The goal of Christian maturity is love, right? That's why we talk about love God, love people, and push back darkness. Could it be said of us, see how they love one another? Could that be said of us? That's why Jesus said, look, hey, what are all the law and the prophets about? Can you wrap that up? Yeah, I sure can. All 613 commands. Love God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Highest law of the universe. But it's true that pride kills love, pride of our hearts. Repenting, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Humility, humbling ourselves under God's authority and saying, you're God, I'm not, is the pathway, the vehicle God's given us as a gift to, to know and experience his love. Those are gifts, repentance and humility. So where is it for you? A person looking from the outside, is your love disingenuous? Is it fake? Is it pretend? Then repent. Um, are you afraid to hate evil or you're not clinging to the good one, Jesus? Have you drifted and strayed from him? Then Repent. Have you um, withheld your heart? Did you say that? That's true. I've chosen just to be a good, nice person, but I don't bless anybody. I don't encourage anybody. Um, then repent. Is it you've dishonored someone and you know it? Repent before God. Go to that person and repent. I've dishonored you. Forgive me, please. Or is your life prayerless? Okay. Listen. There are two beautiful messages of the gospel. Number one is it isn't, the message isn't try harder, strive more, be better, turn over a new leaf. That is not the message. The message is you are born selfish. He's made you a son, a daughter, and only through him can you discover, find, experience, and, and live this kind of love out. Only through him.